0: Oh, hello everyone. Everyone who's joined during the last 30 minutes and everyone who's been here and meditating together. Um, one of the things I've been noticing this week is how much we're all learning as a, as a world community. people sharing their experience of the coronavirus, sharing their research, trying to help each other understand what's happening and how to um, relieve the the suffering involved and how to prevent the illness. And it's been really um, kind of fascinating to watch the ways in which governments are learning from each other and people are learning from each other. And it, it made me think about um, a more important, what I believe is much more important, um, at, even though this is so crucial and critical at the moment, um, that that our spiritual learning is actually similar in many ways, and provides um, relief and, um, might say, a kind of success on a much broader scale. And, of course, it's what we are learning and using and sharing spiritually that helps us deal with what's happening on a worldly level, so it's not like just something out there uh, for later. It's applicable now and and essential now for happiness and well-being, I think, Uh, regardless of whether people think about it as spiritual or not. These
1: methods
0: or practices or um, ways of seeing reality that are in alignment with the Dhamma, regardless of wherever we find them or whoever is expressing them, um, are really key to our well-being and happiness. So I was—I um, thought I would just share one—one well, one of the interesting things about this. I feel is that the spiritual learning is the same now as it was at the time of the Buddha. Um, so it's, even though we're facing this coronavirus and all that comes with it on a global scale, which is certainly unprecedented, the, the way through and the way to um, spiritual happiness, stability, peace, is still the same, and it has a certain comfort to it. But it's also so rich because we use those methods and those teachings of the Buddha to apply to this particular situation, to apply to our life right now as we experience it. And the the meditation that I was guiding you through a little bit is one of the ways in which I feel it's um, very powerful teaching. And when we kind of practice with it and learn how to apply it, very direct and immediate in its relief. So the, the Four Noble Truths, are, you know, kind of the keystone teaching of the Buddha, and he said that it's the Four Noble Truths, that when we understand those, um, that's that's essential to awakening. It's almost um, sufficient to signify awakening, and um, the Buddha himself said that until he understood the Four Noble Truths, he did not declare himself. Awakened, enlightened. What's um, challenging sometimes is seeing how to actually practice the first three noble truths. The fourth one, obviously, is the path, and that's all about practice. Um, And there are, you know, books and many uh, Dhamma talks about how to practice the the noble eightfold path. And it's essential. But I thought I'd just say a few more words about how to practice with the first three noble truths, and that guided meditation was a little taste. So, the noble truth of dukkha really is um, asking us to notice when we're suffering or notice when we're. Not content, or when we're dissatisfied, or when we're restless, or any kind of um, disturbance—something that's not peaceful—and of course, um, most of us have some pretty strong emotions. Feeling is a is a very key way in which we are. Um, you might, um, you might say kind of jerked around. <laughs> you know we're really the feeling feeling motivates us to do all kinds of things that may not may or may not be um, good for us or others. And so when we're working with um, dukkha, it's, all, it's going to have feeling involved. And feeling um, is something that we have choices about. Even though the feeling arises without it being uh, invited, we do have choices about how we respond to it. And this meditation technique of being able to turn towards the pre- presentation of that suffering in the body is um, is really what I believe the Buddha intended he talks about knowing in the body and when we can observe it and you know strip away for the most part the story of what causes it to arise because it's usually where we want to spend our time who said what to whom and did what and all the the stuff that, the circumstances around why I feel the way I feel. But that doesn't actually give us a whole lot of help to overcome this suffering. And so being present with it in the body is a way of implementing the first noble truth. Get these first three noble truths to be something more concrete and experiential rather than some uh, sort of philosophy is really important because this is a method by which we can actually um, build up our immunity to these circumstances that usually evoke anger, resentment. Um, fear, anxiety, or whatever. So, being present with this feeling as it as it arises and is um, observable in the body, and then also gives us a chance to see the movement of that feeling, the change, full nature of it, and and in It's a little different for different people. Some people are more verbal. Some People are more um, somatic. It depends on how you approach this next step. But to be able to find a way to identify what the hook is inside It's not like a a concrete external thing. It's the internal clinging. It's the internal attachment. And then to apply the Dhamma principles to that, to understand the nature of our misapplication of truth. So uh, at some deep level, we want to see Um, things that are impermanent as permanent or things that are actually bringing dukkha as bringing pleasure or things that we attribute to being ours or being self that are really not self or things that are beautiful and as, and we see them as beautiful, but they're really ugly. These kinds of, um, misinterpretations of reality. And, uh, and the clinging that comes with them, the desire for, for pleasure and the uh, aversion to pain. So we, we can really let that contemplation, um, open the way for wisdom to arise. And when it does, it it can help us to let go to some degree, or maybe to a very large degree. Even if this kind of understanding or insight doesn't arise, just the fact that we are able, we build up our tolerance, our ability, our stamina in being able to observe unpleasant feelings and until it fades on its own we already gain the knowledge directly through experiencing it ourselves that we can outlast this feeling without having to gratify it without having to act upon it this in itself gives us a sense of real power over the feelings that arise And then, of course, the third noble truth is the cessation of dukkha. And the cessation of dukkha, as you, I'm sure, well know, doesn't come because the situation changes in this case. Or if the situation does change, it will arise again. The real cessation of dukkha is when we understand like, what that misapprehension of reality has been, and we see through it. It also comes because we can outlast this feeling. Um, it doesn't have to rule us. It doesn't have to control us. We can respond to it by our own decision and determination. And therefore, there's already um, considerable freedom. So I just wanted to offer this for reflection as like one kind of um, thing we can practice and learn during this time. And um, there are, of course, uh, many different um, teachings from the Buddha, and I'll try to just kind of bring one out and highlight it each time we meet. So at this point, I would love to hear from you. I'd like to know what you're learning, um, how your um, time is going now, and any questions that are coming up that you might wish to um, discuss here or share here. and we are recording this, but if you would like to not be recorded, we could turn the recording off anytime. So just let me know. When you would like to speak, just unmute your microphone, and then when you're finished, mute it again.
2: Hi, uh, this is Emily uh, in Portland,
0: Oregon. Hi, Emily.
2: Thank you so much for doing this. It's really wonderful to stay connected with you all during this time. Um, I, like everybody else, I'm sure is navigating a lot, learning a lot during this time, um, you know, integrating a lot on so many different levels. Um. And you know, adjusting to my own new life and finding ways to stay connected with people, um, and noticing this really strong sense of uh, this real strong protective energy towards people and that I love in my life. Um, In particular, um, the people in my life who are working in healthcare right now. So, my dear brother is working in a hospital, my friend Carol is. nurse um and you know i have asian friends who are really concerned about racism right now too so yeah it's just been interesting to see the um the real love and care for those people and the sense of attachment uh, attachments maybe not the right word but just uh hell-bent on making sure they're okay is really what the energy feels like like you know, I've been sending my brother these text messages, some of which have been helpful, some not, I think, of just but wanting him to be aware and wanting him to take care of himself, you know. And and then I got into a a text exchange with um a man that I know in the hiking community here in Portland who basically was saying some really racist things about China and want you know, just really yucky stuff. And so um you know, that felt important to be engaged with too. And, you know, I'm also, I still have work. I need to just, you know, be focused some on work as well. And so just, um, and also just watching the energy that I'm engaging in things like that text conversation, like (laughs) this sort of energy of like, I I have to convince this guy. This is, you know, I must convince this guy that what he's saying is wrong and you know, he's traumatizing people and making the world more unsafe. So um anyway, and I do there's a lot of moments of equanimity too, of deep sadness and equanimity of I'm doing the best I can and I am ultimately not <laughs> in control of what's happening, you know. So Anyway, I just wanted to share all of that and whatever thoughts or reflections you have, I would love to
3: hear.
0: Well, thank you, Emily. I I really can appreciate everything you're saying. Um, and I, I feel like in so many, everything that you've talked about um, really makes sense and is important to pay attention to the, the health and well being of the people we have contact with and the ones that, um, you know, like you're talking about your brother, I know for me, my children and their family, and you know, just, um, we have a certain responsibility with the people that we have that karma with, uh, that's, that's stronger than, uh, with, with others because, you know, when you have, those kinds of really close relationships, there's a certain, um, often, we have to be careful about when, but often there's a certain permission <laughs> um, for for giving uh, I, advice or guidance or support in certain ways that we don't just usually, usually we don't have that kind of permission with others. So I think there is a responsibility there in addition to our really strong feelings of connection and concern and then I think it's really important to speak out even if we don't have the permission when people are being um, mean um, or any other way we might describe it Um, because even though it would be so wonderful if during this time when everyone is facing this same common threat that we could pull together and really look after each other. And I know that there are many, many, many people responding to that urge and that wish and that, um, that way of handling it. And yet greed, hatred and delusion are not just going to magically disappear. We still are living in (laughs) samsara, and we do need to speak up and try to um, introduce as much compassion, kindness, wisdom, and um, rational thinking into the into the mix if we're, you know, exposed to that. So, I think the Kind of the the thing that we as practitioners are and and not just us of course, but just looking at us as a as a community you might say, or as a population that's you know kind of uh, hell bent on awakening, <laughs> and, <laughs> you know to to really like say how do I use this right now to, um, develop, develop wisdom, um, develop the heart. And, um, I think that everything that you described is so rich in opportunities in that regard. And I just encourage you to keep doing that.
2: Yeah, just one little follow up. One thing I'm noticing, like the conversation yesterday with the man who made the comments, you know, it didn't actually get that far. But I know him a bit, and I know he's suffering. And so I think part of my learning here is that right now a big piece is just staying connected with people. You know, like I send maybe I send him a message or two every week and just stay connected. And um, so, anyway, thank you.
0: Yeah, you're welcome. And hopefully he'll really appreciate your um, alternative view. <laughs> and it is really um, so important to see the suffering that people are experiencing. And that's just true all the time. The more we can soften the heart um, to really let go of aversion and to come to the conversation to the experience with with some, one or more of the Brahma Viharas, with the kindness, compassion, equanimity, and appreciation and joyful appreciation for the good. Um, I think the more productive we are, the more it's possible for others to hear us.
3: Thank you, Emily. Hi, this is Carol. Hello, uh, Carol. Hi there. Hi. How are you? I'm doing relatively well, yeah. You know, um, good friends, Emily among them. Nearby, and um, yeah, you know, working, doing the nursing visits, um, but limiting them, you know. But I think that what one thing that's no, um, I'm noticing is, um, you know, like you know, this social isolation. Um, you know, it's like I, I I can feel the domino effect of how this is rippling through our community, like the the economic strain and the consequential anxiety that results um from it and there's this sort of desire to offer support but and the magnitude of what's needed seems so great so and and i just i see it among you know like i was talking with a friend who's a veterinarian at a um animal welfare place in washington and they had to let go of like i think 30% 30% of their staff, you know, and so now, and everyone had to take pay cuts who's staying and, and there's just this, you know, the ripple effect of the unemployment and, you know, yes, there's stuff coming from the federal government, but I don't know. It's just, um, I, I was just hit. I, I felt like I was going along. Okay. And then I just felt hit with this, this incredible sadness of just like, you know, the degree of suffering that's happening and the, the lack of ability to be able to respond in any sort of meaningful way. I mean, I can buy food takeout from gro- local restaurants to help boost their economy, but it just seems like a drop in the bucket, you know. Um, just wonder. I don't know. That's just something that I'm just noticing coming up in me right now.
0: Well, it's so understandable, isn't it? I mean, there's huge um, ramifications of all this happening everywhere in the world. And um, I do appreciate the drops in the bucket. You know, even in even in the text that says, the drop by drop, the bucket fills. You know, <laughs> so there is that. But... Um, But I do think we need to reflect as um, directly and and honestly as possible with um, the fact that this is going to mean a lot of change. uh, And a lot of it is going to be hard. We've been, you know, not everyone, of course, many people have been struggling all along. And in some ways, the economy is getting more and more difficult for more and more people anyway. And if we can encourage our government leadership to try to deal with this in ways that are um, sane um, and not just benefiting the rich, giving the rest of the population as little as possible, um, I think we can hopefully do things that will help to ease the suffering the economic suffering but the truth is i think we're all in for a big change in the way our world works and having the um, the dhamma ready and available is a huge support as you know so the sadness is you know, like, well, all feelings come from old comma. And, of course, we know what our life has been like up till now. And now we see this huge change, not for the better. Or at least much of it is not for the better. And so it's understandable that uh, these feelings arise. And this is our chance to be with them. And recognize a deeper
1: truth. I think. Hi, this is Ashu.
0: Hello Ashu. Hoping,
1: Hello, Ashu. Hoping you can hear me clearly.
0: Yes, I can hear you oh. very well.
1: Great. Thank you for having this uh, set up. It um, It's it's very helpful and just knowing it exists is supportive. Um, And so for me, that kind of helps me keep myself balanced and and calm and feel like, okay, everything's gonna be okay. And I am strong and we are all strong. And, uh, you know, um, however, Whatever happens, whatever changes, whatever transformations that result from everything from COVID nineteen, um, you know, it's I I'm trying to keep a positive outlook that it's going to be for the better, no matter no matter what happens. And so that kind of that's kind of where my mind is at is that in many ways all of this feels like a reset for the way we live for our society just kind of the way we think and treat each other and how we view other people um I kind of feel like in general there's been a lot of simmering stuff simmering at the bottom that we don't we as a society don't really deal with or acknowledge and so um I think this is kind of in, in many ways an opportunity to really deal with that, you know, being at home, being with our families, taking the time to really just sit with ourselves and examine when when we don't have anywhere else we want to go or even, dare I say, escape to. Um, and so I kind of feel like there's a positive in that. At the same time. In, in general, I kind of, I, you know, I do notice the suffering out there in the world and the struggles. And I just feel, feel for the people that are suffering. And I am struggling to find ways to help ease any suffering that I see, whether it's in the news or even just in, in my communities, whether it's, I can't find toilet paper or i lost my job and so i in many ways i kind of feel like i'm not able to help or i don't know how to help or what am i what can i do so kind of just dealing with um a lot of that kind of stuff and then also just making sure my family and friends are are doing good and they feel they feel supported, um, and that they feel like, you know, I'm there for them, and everything's gonna be okay. Um, <laughs> I also feel like, when is someone going to tell me that? I, mean, I feel like I'm telling myself that, and I'm sharing that with other people. But I, I, you know, I feel like I have to have the strength for me and everybody else. And um, where's where's my where's the strength? for me is kind of like a weird thing for me to come up that arises I think and I'm trying to explore and investigate where that comes from and what that's all about
0: yes and the best place is internal through the dhamma through the practice um you know it's like it's a it's a process for sure um, developing that strength and knowing that we have it internally, and that we have enough to share with others, um, and and yet it's a it's a real development, and it's something that we can actually work on every day, like um, like a three thousand piece jigsaw puzzle. You know, you just walk past it and put in a few pieces, and uh, and this is. This is how we develop the mind. And um, when the Buddha died, um, he talked to his disciples about being an island unto themselves and how to really take the Dhamma as their refuge. He said, take yourself as a refuge and take the Dhamma as a refuge. And of course, he also talked a lot throughout his uh, his life um, about companionship and friendship on the path and how important that is and so we have each other and we have this internal reality that if we bring it into alignment with the true reality the dhamma the way of seeing reality that's actually true then we are more and more free as we put those pieces into the puzzle. More and more free um, from the dukkha, from the suffering, from all of the stress, tension, burden. Uh, it's a. It, it seems from the outside it's kind of a stark reality that you know aging sickness death, losing everything that we hold dear is natural. And yet when we start to really dig into the Dhamma we do see the truth of it ourselves. What comes is joy and happiness and the compassion and the energy to really be of service to others. So You know, we're all on this path at one point or another, putting in those pieces. And we should, I think it's important to really kind of congratulate ourselves along the way as we find the pieces and we put them in place. Um, Do the things that uplift the mind in a spiritual sense. Reminding yourself of your strength is great reminding yourself that there's a lot of good in the world and I do think it's possible that many things could improve as a result of this experience and it's really up to us all the human beings here on this planet to make it so thank you for your sharing
1: thank you beautifully said
0: Take care, Carol. I know you have to go. <laughs> okay. Your mute is on. Sorry.
3: Thank you. I, I don't, I'm just not sure how to sign off, but yes, I'll find a way. Take care. Okay. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thank you Take so care. much. I, I hope, will you be doing this again next Saturday?
0: Yes. We're going to have this session every week until we feel like it's not needed anymore.
3: Okay. Thank you so much. Much gratitude.
0: Sure. Take bye. care, girl. <laughs> bye, bye.
4: Um, this is Carrie. I'm gonna. Getting- Put my video on. My husband is sitting here with me, too, honey. Um, Hi, I, I just, Hi, Jaime. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> there he is. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to share a little um, since everybody else is sharing. I also sh- share some of what Asha was feeling about yearning to help others and not being able to because I'm a senior and I really have to think about that um, and not expose myself. Plus my husband, as you as you probably know, has Alzheimer's or early stage Alzheimer's. And so I'm I really have to be careful about all of what we I expose us to. Luckily we're very healthy. But this we're kind of homebodies anyway since we're retired. But this has just been in a way, a really a gift, um, simply because there are so many fewer distractions. And it's really been an opportunity to begin to feel like, what do I need for self-care? What do I need to do to try to balance being a caregiver and taking care of myself? Um, And I'm starting, I'm taking a class called Say What You Mean from Orange A. Sofer, which is a basically nonviolent communication combined with mindfulness practice. It's really been wonderful. Um, it's very intense about how to, how to first bring presence, be in your body, bring empathy and kindness, and then how to engage in conversation. So I've been very aware of how much I am not successful in that. Um, but I'm realizing that part of what goes on with me um, is I, I am dealing with internal conflicts between two things for which I'm really yearning and they don't they, they they I don't know how to hold both at the same time and I'm just becoming aware of that having this time this period of you know weeks now to just interact with my husband basically and watch after 35 years of marriage um how often this happens and begin to really look at why and um i'm just realizing that i have two yearnings the yearning to care for others in this case him and the yearning to care for myself and sometimes i don't i I, i've never allowed myself to hold those conflicting things gracefully um give myself permission to know that both things are true and to be able to say, I really want to help you and I need to maybe take care of myself at this moment. So I just wanted to share basically that I feel a lot of gratitude. This whole thing has been such an opportunity to grow and learn as as others said. And um, so Ashu, it's gonna be okay and you're going to be okay. We're all going to be okay because we have Dhamma here to hold us, and I'm grateful because there are people who don't have it, and you can see in their faces the the suffering that they are going through. So, thank you.
0: Yeah, Carrie, that's, um, thank you for sharing that, and what what comes to my mind about this caring for oneself and caring for others? This is a big deal for a lot of a lot of people, um, including my own self, um, in earlier times. And what I've learned is that the more deeply we practice with what's really me or mine, and not me or mine, and the more that we recognize that this body and, to some degree, this mind, at least the more primitive part of it, are processes that are not self, not, not me, not mine. This body like, has its own comma. It's just uh, go, going through it, right? And all this conditioning from the past, old comma, know and and the more we practice mindfulness and we really start to step back into the sort of observer position observing this body and mind and observing what's happening in the world the the less we see a distinction between self and other so as you develop and practice during this time, in particular, this is a great opportunity to look at. Well, when I'm taking care of this body that I happen to be uh, residing in at the moment, um, or and my or this mind that needs its attention, or I'm taking care of this other one over here. It's really the same. If I can think of them as the same, I give the priority to the one that needs the priority at the moment without the feelings of, oh, am I being selfish, am I being whatever, none of that, that all starts to fade. It starts to um, become, you know, like uh, not really an issue anymore. And so that's just like a perspective. It's more than just a perspective on it because it comes out of the mindfulness practice. It comes out of the wisdom practice. Seeing the truth that all conditioned things are not self. In fact, all conditioned things are dukkha, and all things are not self, conditioned and unconditioned. And so that's what that that I found is really the key, the the end of the dilemma of self-care as we care for others. Both are absolutely needed.
4: Thank you. Welcome.
0: Compassion, kindness, all around, <laughs> self and others.
5: Hey, this is Jesse. Hi,
0: Jesse. How are you? Hi, yeah.
5: Thanks so much for this call. Um, I've just been reflecting on how I spend my time, and I wanted to... So you asked what's working, what's not. I wanted to ask about media consumption and, and just discernment about how we practice. What I've noticed is that these live calls have been so beneficial, this one and other meditation groups that I don't normally attend because of geographical limitations. Um, but I've, So I actually favor this over my own practice. I could be meditating right now. I could be reading a Dharma book. Um, and then I found something that I haven't done in the past, which is watching Dharma talks on YouTube and other kinds of recordings of dharma um but it just feels like i could spend so much time doing that if i wanted to hours and hours per day i'm just kind of questioning the value of that as a practice kind of binge watching dharma talks and then the news like it's the news has been kind of i feel like i just need very little of it hardly any at all but really the only things that seem to matter are there's enormous amount of suffering going on. And the best thing I can do right now to help is to comply with the shelter in place guidelines and, you know, continue my practice, make, make best use of that time by practicing. So I was just wondering mainly about just if you had any insight into sitting practice walking meditation reading dharma books and watching dharma videos and balancing that with like news consumption which to me really just feels like it stirs up the mind um it's it's not clear to me how much um news media like how how is that wholesome i want it to be wholesome and beneficial when i'm doing it so i'm just wondering about that type of balance and what to look for when it's getting out of balance.
0: Okay, good questions. Um, I uh, First of all, I really think of how much we use media or take in media is
1: part of
0: wise and unwise attention. Uh, this is something the Buddha stressed a lot. Um, Wise attention means that we're paying attention to things that bring up wholesome qualities or help to maintain wholesome qualities. And unwise attention is when we're doing things or listening, watching, uh, taking in through the senses and the mind, those things that bring up unwholesome qualities or uh, keep our unwholesome qualities going. And so this is one way to look at how much media is too much. How's the mind doing? And I think there's a legitimate reason to be um, informed to some degree, so that we know what's happening enough to know that we're doing the the best practices we can uh, in terms of how we interact with society and how we are um, taking care of ourselves, and then. You know beyond that how much do we really need to know Uh, does it help I think it's somewhat helpful to be in touch with how much suffering there is but maybe once a day not like every hour or something you know we can give ourselves quotas uh, that support the mind staying wholesome and Um, You can also use the Buddha's teachings on sensory restraint with regard to this, and it's the same kind of thing. It's like we want the the fever, vexation, and I don't remember exactly how it's worded in the text right now, but um, to be a minimum. Uh, And so to just, Like, I've recently just said to myself, I'm gonna look only once a day at the statistics of cases of of COVID-19 and the deaths that it's causing. I want to know how it's going. But once a day is enough, it's my little check-in. And then the other way of using media that people have talked about that's really useful right now is connecting with other people and using that as a way to encourage them and encourage ourselves and to try to not get caught up in too much more than that. In terms of reading and listening to Dhamma talks, um, I also found that at one point in my in my practice I um, benefited more from from listening to one Dhamma talk instead of like three in a row or something. And so um, I used to drive up to a bike area. It was about a three-hour drive for me. And I limited myself to one Dhamma talk in the, in the car. The rest was silent. And, you know, so balancing your silent time where you're sitting and walking and your time conversing with others and your time listening to Dhamma or reading Dhamma is, is really... Um, It's a, it's an art, right? It's a, it's a balancing act, Um, and you can tell if it's the right mixture by how you feel. And so, yeah, I would really encourage you to look for the right amount. Um, The right amount is something Ajahn Chah used to talk about: the right amount of sleep, the right amount of Meditation, the right amount of food, um, and the right amount of social interaction, and you know things that uh, we need to have, but we need to notice um, what is really the right amount. And the like I said, the real um, indicator is the state of the mind because the right amount today may not be the same as it was yesterday so right now you have the opportunity to really observe yourself and um, do what's uplifting to the mind now
5: that's great thank you you're
0: welcome
3: hi uh, my name can you hear me
0: yes i can hear you
6: uh my name is sam i'm from austin texas and i just wanted to say how grateful i am to be able to practice with y'all um it's such a one of the things that's been um like a surprise about this time is how um like Jesse was saying, joining other sanghas through um, video or audio or um, teachers that were supposed to be on retreat and offering those retreats online. And, um, you know, as I'm speaking, I'm realizing I don't, because I'm staying in, I don't just in daily interactions. I don't say thank you to like as many people like at the grocery store or um, whatever. So it's a, Yeah, thank you all for your practice. It's such a wonderful to be here with you. So, thanks.
0: Thank you, Sam. Thanks for sharing that and for joining us. I lived in Austin, Texas for a short time, and I have fond memories of it. (laughs) And just hearing y'all is (laughs) kind of nice. lying well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, great.
7: Hi, this is Mary Now.
0: Hello, Mary Now. Hello, love.
7: It was good to hear you all said properly by Sam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am feeling uh, very, very vulnerable. Um, and I, I am also realizing I'm going to die. I think this is what's been. Um, coming, coming to the, coming through my body and um, um, uh, being so present for me. I, um, you know, I, I'm 80, I have COPD, I have, you know, I'm, I'm very vulnerable, and yet I have light COPD, let me tell you that, it's, it's, it's manageable, but it's, I'm still 80 but it's really surprising to me that I re I am I am going to die too just like the buddha has said and you and we have been discussing in our class I have um, and ah, I am trying to hold out and not go to um, distractions. Are it's just a reality um, that uh, old age, sickness, and death. And uh, yeah, it's just trying to hold it. And I find myself, um, my emotions are so close when I uh, when I read. Uh, I, I do. I have been trying to limit my taking in of of the media, big, but. It's. I find myself crying because it's. People are hurting, and then crying because of the um, amazing response they're they're generating, and their compassion for each other. And something I really. Want to remember uh, that you said earlier when you were doing this, doing the meditation, because last night was a very dark night of the soul for me. That's my. Um, is that. And if I can, some way, just. Become aware of the feeling and describe it. Then, that will that will ease the feeling. Um, so, I'm very glad for this this time to spend with you and and all these people from all over. It's uh, I uh, I am I live alone, and I um, but I, but in some ways I've had more social contact with people. People, and I feel somewhat busier since this shelter-in-place. I'm almost looking for a day when I have nothing to do. So that's kind of strange for me. I'm well supplied with you know I'm privileged i uh, I'm so anyway. thank you very much.
0: You're very welcome and Through a lot of your description in the beginning where you were talking about realizing that you two are going to die, I was smiling and smiling bigger and bigger because, of course, you're in a vulnerable position as a human being, as an elder. And I know that you you are really using this time. I'm so happy. Happy when any of us really lets in the reality that we're going to die. And yes, when you die, I will miss you. Or huh? I will die first, and you might miss me for a while too.
7: <laughs> I
0: will. <laughs> Thank you.
7: <laughs> but, the great unknown,
0: huh? <laughs> yeah. But to but to really take this in. Um, is hard it's hard our our coping mechanisms that are so primal um, fight against it tooth and nail and to you know rein that in and actually look as honestly and clearly as we possibly can at this reality of disease and death um, is a gift it's a huge gift uh, this is how we let go of all this pettiness and, and desire and aversion. It's not worth it. It's not getting us anywhere. And where do we think we're going anyway? And what is it we can take with us? And so I am delighted that you're looking, because so many people and I'm told by people who work with people who are dying they they won't they don't accept it to the last minute and oftentimes and oftentimes we aren't ready when when it is time to die. and you know whether this this whole thing with COVID-19 helps us reflect that regardless of our age, it's always been true but now, mm. We can see it in front of us, As regardless of our age. We can go anytime. I know someone um, whose son was 17 years old playing basketball. He died on the court of a heart attack. Uh These things happen. And it gets a lot more real. Um, My mom said, too, when you get into your 80s or 90s, Mm -hmm. because, you know, it's Getting closer, but then the rest of us, until we get to that point, we should still reflect every day. Every day, we're one day closer to death. There's no two ways about it. And so I'm applauding over here with your your willingness to really stare reality in the face um, and see that you are all right and you will be all right. Um, anyone who remembers their past lives and they happen to remember dying um, knows that it's not that big a deal really. So you know <laughs> you've done it, you know, how many thousand times you know <laughs> um, you know and and the trajectory you're setting now is what's important and um, you're doing that so beautifully, and you've been doing it so beautifully for such a long time. So, um,
6: that's just
0: true. And, you know, um, I want you to feel like you can call us anytime, even in the middle of the dark night, (laughs) because we have a pretty flexy schedule here now, (laughs) (laughs) out in the forest, doing our nun thing. So, you know, just know that we're here. And um, in case anybody doesn't have the hermitage number, it is on our website. It's the landline, the cell phone's not so, well, totally unreliable out here. We can put it on the chat window, too. Yeah, and it's the number we're calling from, from. It says, it says we're calling from Los Gatos down below. And our picture oh. is the computer version, which thinks we're in Trinidad, Colorado. Which Every time we call it, it's got some other weird place that we're not at. <laughs> but here, I'll stick it in the chat window anyway, just so okay. you can see. Yeah. 408 Okay. There
7: you go. Thank you. Thank you.
0: You're welcome, my dear.
7: Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's for me it's been um, knowing I have this community of some of uh, Buddha buddies and, and, and teachers and non and Buddha friends. Um, holding me has been um, has let me be in some ways more into my solitude so and has
0: helped to
7: be be, to be alone now so thank you thank you very much
0: you're welcome Mm -hmm. Mary Nell and isn't it amazing how when we have those hard connections yeah Um, being alone isn't alone
7: yes it is it is yeah so okay i guess i punched the microphone
0: to hang up
7: but but i can still listen to
0: people you can still (laughs) listen i'll just mute i'll mute you okay thank you dear you're welcome take care
7: you too
8: This is Carol uh, from Oakland.
0: Hello, Carol.
8: Hello. Well, I wanted to kind of echo some of what Marinelle was just saying. Um, I think this is of, uh, particularly challenging, although I'm sure it's challenging for people who are uh, coupled, you know, a pair going through this. But I think particularly being alone, um, is very challenging I found and it's been a very well and it's still unfolding but um, I'm finding it to be a very um, I'm learning so much and it feels like a very rich experience to me it's kind of aloneness in a different way than I was experiencing it before this whole thing happened um I find myself kind of oh I'm hoping that um when this ends and it will end although who knows what will it may be a new normal at that time um but I'm hoping the connections I'm finding with people um endure and I guess that's that's a large part my um, responsibility is making sure it does. But one thing is I, I was Googling the four um, messengers because for some reason I had forgotten about death. (laughs) And I came up with the, um, it was really interesting. It was the, well, I came up with the, the class that you gave it um, in Redwood City, um, I think it's a couple of years ago now. Right. But right. the whole thing is there. <laughs> All of these talks, and it was just about this, about um, dying and how we do it and how to approach it. So I've started actually going through those talks and now it is so much more meaningful to me than it was a few years ago. So thank you
0: for those talks.
7: (laughs) That's okay. That's all.
0: Well, thank you Carol. It's good to hear that you're doing pretty well over there and I'm really glad that it is I mean, we already said it here, but it, it really is um, a huge development in our practice to face death and for it to um, to take on all that meaning and clarity, and, you know, it doesn't mean that we'll always be clear. We have to keep coming back and restoring that clarity because, The, the, I think of it as the childlike part of the mind, or the primitive part of the mind, as well as the body, just keeps trying to push that into the distance. And um, so good. I'm glad. It's just this is these things are heavenly messengers. It helps us remember that there's something more important than this physical world. And that this physical world isn't going to last for us, including the physical body. And that we can right now amp up our our awareness, our um, acceptance, our preparation for that time of when that inevitable time when we will leave this body and this world. And go on that exotic voyage <laughs> to mm-hmm. wherever.
7: <laughs> yeah. Um,
8: oh my, I, I'm. I guess I have nothing more to say. But I, I think this is um, a very precious time. It feels to me. Um, and I. I'm almost glad that it's going to go on a while because I feel like it's, um, evolving just internally where I am with all this and where I am with myself. <laughs> um, so, and thank you so much for these Saturdays. This is so important. Thank you.
9: Hi, Ayans. This is Sue.
0: Hello, Sue. How are you?
9: Good. How are you today?
0: I'm fine. Thank you.
9: I had a a question on uh, one of the suttas, if that's okay to ask. Sure. Uh, So I've been looking at the um, Anapanasati Sutra, the mindfulness of breathing. Yes. And there are two paragraphs in there uh, that I thought were relevant, but I didn't quite know how to uh, fully experience and study in this time. Um, if it's okay, I can read them?
0: Yes, please.
9: Okay. Uh, let me see if I can share my screen also.
0: Well, why don't you just read? Just read Okay. It? okay.
9: This is MN18, 118, sorry. So it says, the first paragraph is, He trains thus, I shall breathe in, experiencing the mind. He trains thus, I shall breathe out, experiencing the mind. He trains thus, I shall breathe in, gladdening the mind. He trains thus, I shall breathe out, gladdening the mind i shall breathe in concentrating the mind i shall breathe out concentrating the mind i shall breathe in liberating the mind i shall breathe out liberating the mind so that's the first paragraph and it has a lot to do with the mind and, and just wondering how to breathe in experiencing the mind versus the thoughts and the feelings and other things so that that was the first one and then the second paragraph there is I shall breathe in contemplating impermanence. I shall breathe out contemplating impermanence. I shall breathe in contemplating fading away. I shall breathe out contemplating fading away. I shall breathe in contemplating secession. I shall breathe out contemplating secession. I shall breathe in contemplating relinquishment. And I shall breathe out, contemplating relinquishment, because this is how mindful of breathing is developed and cultivated, so that it is of great fruit and great benefit. So, the experience of the mind, and then the the contemplation of impermanence. I was wondering if you could touch on those two topics, and how we can develop those, use the circumstances that we're in to develop those.
0: Sure. Well, first of all, I love this um, sutta and this practice. it been my main practice for years. and um, it, is a, it is a good question about what the Buddha means by um, really looking at the mind as opposed to the mind objects. And it's really, um, instead of just the material that's going through the mind, the thoughts, and so on, it's it's really the the field of the mind. What's the mood of the mind? What's the situation of the mind? Is it tight? Is it expansive? Is it down pulling? Is it you know what it, what is the situation? And then to gladden the mind, to bring it up, to lift it up, to brighten it, to um, bring in some happiness. Already in the previous Tetrad paragraph, you see the the attention you pay to joy and happiness. But here, you really want to intentionally uplift the mind. And this is important during this time. Um, And the practice with the breath, if that's what people are used to, is very valuable at this time. Whenever strong feelings come, whenever problems in the body come, we can use our breath. Um, even someone recently was talking to me about um, having some serious breathing problems and how can I use the breath and, you know, I, I talked about a, a friend who was a practitioner who had lung cancer and had a large part of her lung removed while she was um, in the recovery room and all of that after the surgery nurse after nurse and the doctor would say what are you doing you're you're responding to this so differently than other people it was because she was used to uh, using her breath as a meditation object and she was doing that even though her breathing was was significantly different Uh, she was able to be with her breath in a way that allowed her to be calm and to breathe and so this, you know, this uh, being with the breath and uh, being aware of the mind and being able to uplift the mind is valuable in this situation, no matter what's happening. And then um, the, Buddha, the Buddha says in many places in the suttas that a, um, a happy mind or a peaceful mind, happy mind is easily concentrated. So then the next step is to let the mind go into the deepest peace it can. And the liberation there is to really release from one level to another, or that's one interpretation. But when you're in the practice, it may present itself in a different way, and that's fine. This is about exploration and experience. And so during this time of being isolated or being... Um, sheltering in place it's it's an opportunity to take time for this kind of practice and to really benefit from it and then the last the second paragraph is a paragraph on dhamma it's it's weaving and you can weave these instructions together you don't have to just take them all linearly um, you can go back to previous ones and go in the dhamma might arise at any point some aspect of the dhamma this this viewing of impermanence, facing impermanence, reflecting upon impermanence, that's, a, that's really in our face right now. It's so big and it's so present that we can, you know, benefit greatly from using it as, as a practice. And so the impermanence all around us, it's all around us anyway. In so many ways, this experience of COVID-19 is not different from normal life as a human being in this realm of samsara, it's, it's just more kind of consolidated and universal. But disease and death are natural. Impermanence is constantly showing itself around us. And so when we are looking at impermanence, and we we a, a very ardent practice of seeing impermanence in everything you touch, everything you look at. This is one of the ways that people break through often to um, to a deeper understanding of Dhamma. and then to realize that when we really see that something's impermanent, our desire for it fades, our allure, its allure fades. Um, the, the the wishing for it fades. We're not as enamored. We're not enchanted anymore. And so this fading away is the fading away of our attachment. And then there is a the cessation of suffering. So we experience that. And when the cessation of suffering occurs, just like these first three noble truths, when the cessation occurs, then we really let go in a way that we don't want to pick it up again. Real relinquishment, reflecting upon the the joy and the relief of relinquishment. So that's, that's one way to describe those instructions. And it's certainly um, a very rich practice during this time because we've got so much amazing material right now to work with. And of course, I don't mean by that that we in any way kind of, you know, I take this as an intellectual exercise. <laughs> That's not what it is. And so we don't distance ourselves from the actual suffering of it that people are experiencing. And, you know, we still feel it. We feel it. We're compassionate, kind. Uh, wishing people well, hoping for the best, wanting to put in the causes and conditions that we can for the best results for everyone. But in the meanwhile, as we're doing that, these practices are um, giving us the opportunity to wake up more here, right now,
9: Thank you, Uh One follow-up follow question on this. Um, I, I think the, the contemplation on impermanence is clear. But when we say breathe in, gladdening the mind, it, it almost feels like we're like forcefully introducing something. Can you speak to that a little bit more? That I don't know, instinctively, that like we're we're trying to grasp onto something and just feels instinctively maybe not the right way I'm thinking
0: about it you definitely don't want to be doing it with a grasping mind it's not that it's more it's more like contemplation you know contemplation as i mentioned like in the meditation is not the same as analysis it's bringing something to mind and then letting it sit there to reflect upon, to allow a deeper inner wisdom to meet it. And this kind of gladdening the mind isn't forceful, but it is intentional. I mean, we can have an intention to um, bring something about without it being forceful or clinging or attaching or grasping. And so the Buddha is encouraging us Often to bring to mind those things that uplift the heart, uplift the mind, like the reflection on your own virtue, or reflection on your own generosity, or you know, reflection on kindness. Or all of these things are an intentional action. Even even going into jhanas is volitional. So it's like don't think that just because you're intentionally bringing some, um, something up for contemplation that there's anything wrong with that. The Buddha wasn't trying to just obliterate thought and go into some you know, wow. completely void concentration, generally. There is a way of doing that, but that's not usually what Buddhist meditation is about. It's usually about observing and being present, And even being present when the mind goes into deeper states of concentration, the mindfulness is always there. And our intention matters, and it does direct um, the experience, puts in causes and conditions for awakening.
7: Thank you. That's very helpful.
0: You're welcome. I think I'd like to close with a reading. And then if anyone who hasn't spoken would like to say something after that, please go ahead, but of course people can feel free to drop off. This is from Ajahn Jayasaro's book, uh, From Heart and Hands. (laughs) Excuse me. I think I read one of these uh, last time, but this one I find particularly useful given the topic of being present with what we're experiencing in order to work through it. He says, when a masseuse discovers a painful place, the person being massaged usually winces, but then says, yes, that's it, right there. He does not want the masseuse to avoid that area. On the contrary, he works... He wants, sorry, he wrote this in his handwriting. I'm having trouble. (laughs) He wants him to give particular attention to it. Only by doing so will the pain be relieved. The interactions with those around us every day produce effects rather similar to those evoked by the probing fingers of the masseuse. For the practitioner, any mental discomfort that arises is a useful indication of where work needs to be done. We become conscious of our pride and conceit, our fears and attachments at such moments. We don't dismiss or repress such feelings. We say, yes, that's it, right there. We know that unless we address these things and deal with them, Skillfully, our minds will never know true peace. So I want to thank everyone for joining us today and for all the sharing. And uh, we'll stay on the call a little bit longer, a few minutes longer, for anyone who wanted to say something but didn't get the chance. Um, and for all of you who are uh, needing to wrap it up, I want to wish you a safe and happy week um, that's rich in um, learning and development. So thank you.
1: Thank you, Aya. This was this was beautiful. Much appreciated. You're very welcome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit Dharmaseed dot org slash donate.